You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? We awake? You feeling good? Christmas is in the air, right? Lots of good going on. Real quick, just, just for fun, why doesn't everybody in the room, why don't you look to your neighbor real quick and say, man, Sunday morning's got you looking good. <laughs> right, everybody, come on now. This is a little, little bit of fun, a little bit of love in this place, right? It's good to smile. It's good to enjoy this life, right? All right, uh, real quick, before we hop into a couple of different things, hopefully you're feeling good this morning. Um, I will say this. Uh, I'm just gonna toss this out there. Christmas, every year, it, it catches up on me real fast. Anybody, like it shows up, you're like, oh no. Uh, so this is your three weeks out reminder. Anybody in the room that's not necessarily a type A, you fit in the other categories not described. You, you got three weeks. You got three weeks until Christmas, which means Amazon Prime is still working. You need to do something to get the presence going in your family for the love of everyone type A in your life. And if you need to nudge somebody right next to you, this is that moment to do that. Please go out and get your gifts and make sure it's meaningful. And for all of us type A's in the room, if Jesus's grace was sufficient, then ours needs to be too, right? Oh, you didn't get though, right? It's all good. So. I'm Darren, good morning everybody. There we go, there we go. We're a little active, it's good. I, I, I'll play off of that. If you, if you and I can interact today, we'll play off of that. We got a couple of announcement things that we gotta talk about. First and foremost is this. I am not our lead pastor, Pastor Matt. If you cannot tell, I'm a little bit taller, my hair is a little bit more spiky, and I have cooler glasses. <laughs> However, Pastor Matt, if you didn't know, he had a surgery over this last week, and he's in recovery right now. We just wanted to give everybody an update that his surgery went really, really good. Right, let's go. And as he's recovering right now, as he should be recovering healthy, Matt, I know you're watching this right now, I know you're watching this right now, I just simply want to get everybody involved. Can we celebrate and love on the Nickerson family, Pastor Matt and their family? Come on now. We want you to heal up and recover well. Man, to do this job it, day in and day out, it's insane. I have so much respect for him. The second, the second point is this. I, over Thanksgiving, had the flu. Anybody else can relate? You feel me, right? There's been a lot of sickness going around. In that process, I've been cleared, I'm good to go, but my voice is not quite where it should be. So I'm asking for your grace this morning as we get started. Sound good? All right, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn into Luke chapter one, right? We're in this series called The Promised King. We're talking about the stories through the book of Luke all the way through this Christmas season. It's exciting to see. We're gonna be in verse 26. So last week, Bill was here. He did a fantastic job talking about Elizabeth and Zachariah and their whole process and the baby to come, which was John the Baptist. And this week, we step into a pivotal story about a lady you may or may not have heard of by the name of Mary. She just happens to be the mother of Jesus. So 
the, the cool part about Luke is this, is if you look at the Gospel of Luke, aside from the other three Gospels that we read, Luke gives us a lot of intentional details that many times we don't get from the other Gospels. He's very intentional, he's very specific. And the audience, to the Gentiles that he writes to, the things that he says are important. They're very important. And for some of us, sometimes we read the text and it doesn't make any sense or we don't get it because the geography is a little bit separated from the way that we function or because we don't live in the area, we don't understand what that would be like. And today, I love the fact that Luke's writing about this conversation, the things that he points out, we're gonna dig into it. All right, you guys ready? 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 Good. Good, I like it, I like the feedback, it's good. All right, so Luke chapter one, verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married, to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. All right, we gotta stop there. There's so much information just from this text to unpack that we've gotta pause and process real quick everything that's going on. So Elizabeth is in her sixth month of pregnancy. So the story that Bill walked us through last week was Zachariah and Elizabeth with John the Baptist, the baby used to come. She is now six weeks pregnant, or sorry, six months pregnant with John the Baptist. Gabriel shows up again, right? Last time he showed up to Zechariah, this time now he's showing up to Mary. Mary is unwed at this point, right? Scripture is telling us that she's pledged to Joseph. And if you want to, you and I can look at this like an engagement. It is, it is nowhere close to the same thing, but culturally speaking, she is, she is in process of becoming married to Joseph. And then we get, it says, is they are from Nazareth in Galilee. And for many of us, this text, it doesn't correlate. We don't understand why he would write that. Why, why Luke would put this idea of Nazareth. And if you do a little bit of study on the idea of this, you, you, you recognize a couple of things. But before we get there, let's just ask. If in this day and age, a king would come from a lineage of kings, which means there's prominence, Right, You would be from a place that has good education. You would be from a place that is well known, that is proper. And as we start to have this conversation of Jesus, we get that he is from the town of Nazareth in Galilee. See, Nazareth, it's like the backwoods, hillbilly, podunk, like dare I say it, because I'm from Oklahoma, redneck, space in Israel. It's the northernmost area of Israel. It's a mountainous area. And uh, 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 Nazareth is the lower section of that. It's like the valley of the mountains. It's a farming community. It's unique to me. I love reading about it because scripture even gives us some insight to it. Later on, as Jesus is in his ministry and he's picking out his disciples, he comes across this guy named Philip and he has a conversation with Philip and he invites him to be a disciple, to follow him, right? And in this moment, in John chapter one, verse 45 and 46, all of a sudden we get this unique description. Philip goes after he's been talk, talking to Jesus and he talks to his friend Nathaniel and says, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, 
about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael's response in verse 46 is priceless. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? That's the way they saw this town, nothing good. There is no respect for anybody from this area. They spoke the same language. They were even from the same nation of Israel, but they were not on the same level. A promised king to come, they would never come from Nazareth. It wouldn't happen. And so it's unique to read why Luke would write this in the story. It's crazy to me that Luke is trying to tell his audience, Jesus gets you. If you're not a Jew, if you've been cast out by this conversation, you gotta recognize Jesus in this moment, he gets you, he understands you, he's like you. We have a promised king, but he's coming in a way that nobody expected. And we keep going through that verse specifically. It said that Mary is a virgin. Now, in this room, if this needs explanation, you need to have a conversation with your parents. We're just gonna call it what it is, right? Just leave it be. I'm not going there today. But I've gotta work through this conversation because I've had so many conversations, so many contextual conversations where people struggle with this specific piece. Of all the scriptural pieces, this is one that's like, it doesn't make any sense. How is it possible? Why would scripture say that? Mary is a virgin, why is that important at all? And I would respond to you, Mary's humanity and her virginity matter. See, we've been told that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man, and without Mary's humanity, we, le we lose Jesus's fully man. Without her humanity, we lose the fullness of man, the relationship, the idea that Jesus is like us, can understand us, has been through what we've been through and walked through. Without a virginity, we lose the validity of scripture and the divinity of Jesus. This is a much longer conversation, it's a bigger can of worms than I can work through right now, but you must recognize for two millennia, Believers have hinged on it, and without it, right, without this concept, we will struggle. The historical liability of the gospel is in danger. This isn't just any child, it's the Son of God. If Joseph was the real father and not God, or if Mary had been sleeping around, Jesus is not spotless, he's not innocent, and he's not perfectly holy which means we have no savior. That specific intentional context from Luke is vitally important. As simple as it is, we have to understand this. And I love that Luke so clearly <laughs> articulates it. And not only is she a virgin, but it says that Mary was favored and that God was with her. And I wanna stop for just a quick second and talk to, to our, our teens in the room. Since I'm a student pastor here at Kingsway, I get the opportunity and privilege. I wanna talk to our teens about two words, righteousness and purity. Righteousness and purity. See, we live in a culture that values self-expression. 
Do what makes you feel good. You have so much access to the world around you and consequences these days are starting to really not matter. And I'm telling you today that they do. The life choices that you have and that you make today, they affect the rest of your life. The baggage that you start carrying now won't go away in the future. It stays with you. You're training for adulthood. And many of us in the room who are adults, we're still training for adulthood. But maybe for you, I don't know about you adults in the room, I, I had a good example of parents at home but I didn't listen to them and I became a bad example. I didn't trust what they had to say or what they were trying to tell me. I didn't trust who they were trying to train me to become and so then I bore my own consequences which they became even greater. Many times in my own life I went my own way and God simply says, don't lose my way. Don't lose my way. Being right in the eyes of God creates favor with God. It creates favor with God and intentional purity creates favor with God as well. And maybe you messed up. Welcome to the club. Romans tells us that we've all sinned that not one of us in this room is perfect. Not one of us in this room has full control or has got it all figured out. In fact, we've all fallen short of God's glory. We deserve the brokenness that comes from neglecting our relationship with God. But moving forward, all of us in this room and all of us watching today, we have to have the mindset of Christ. We have to have the mindset of Christ and it has to be daily, ongoing, all the time, constantly pushing, to get up every day, to spend time in God's word every single day, to love the world every single day, to resist the temptations that come our direction, to forgive those around us and to continually pursue righteousness in a way that elevates the idea of who God created us to be, the righteousness that we were intended to be, God calls us to it. I love last week, Bill said it the best. He said, chasing righteousness brings a joy that sustains. It's so beautiful. See, God entrusted Mary, and if you didn't know, she was somewhere between 13 to 17 years old. She was a teenager. God entrusted Mary to bring the Savior into this world. God trusted a teenager to change the world. Do I, can I, do I need to say it again? For all of us in this room, our teenagers, there's a lot of responsibility on their shoulders. God trusts them, and we gotta work through it, and they, we gotta understand too that Mary, before God even approached her, had that righteousness, had that intentionality, that relationship with him, but God trusted Mary, a teenager, to bring the Savior into this world. And what's unique, just like Bill said last week, that story is not over. That story is continuing to be written. God is not done. And anyone who has found Jesus in their life can relate to that. 
I was a 16, maybe 17-year-old punk. I thought I had life all figured out. Maybe you guys can reminisce a little bit. Go back to your teenage years and process kind of who you were and what you did and how you lived your life. I thought I had it all figured out. Nobody could tell me differently, even if they were very right and I was very wrong. I had it all figured out. And then one summer, my church decided to take me to this conference. And I spent a week around like-minded people who all thought they had it figured out too. But I got to see God in a way that I've never seen God before. He broke me, he changed me, and he challenged me. And the hardest part about life was that trip ended. I had to go home and face my reality. I had to face this idea of life that I had built for myself. The people that I had talked to, I now have to have a conversation with them to explain, no, I'm not that person anymore. I'm a little bit different than that. You can't see it, I know. I'm struggling to figure it out, I know, but I'm different, I'm different. Here I am 20 years later and I'm still blown away by the wonderful working power and understanding of God. See, Mary doesn't have all, all of it figured out. She doesn't have a concept or an idea. The angel greets her, right? Verse 28 greets her. It says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And in verse 29, she responds like, what? What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold up. I got to take this all in. Pause. Put yourself in Mary's shoes. An angel shows up, starts talking to you like you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, and all of a sudden you're trying to figure out what's happening. It's unique. Mary's doing her best. She's not perfect. And the angel realizes this and literally just does like a word dump on her. Everything that's about to come, process. She's just met the angel. The angel has talked a little bit about her. She's still trying to process what in the world is going on. And then we hit verses 30 to 33. And in these four verses, all of a sudden we get some ridiculous information, right? Normally you like to start in easy in a conversation that's tough, right? You like to sandwich it, a good thing, the the tough stuff, and then a good thing, right? Right, you're working with somebody trying to deal with it. You get it in little nuggets. The angel's just like, bleh. Look at it, look at it. You read in, in verse 33, it says, don't be afraid, you're favored by God. So there's that favored concept again. He says, you're gonna be with child, you're gonna give birth to a son, you're to give him the name Jesus, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Oh, and one more, this kingdom will never end. Put yourself in Mary's shoes for two seconds. You're an unwed teenager who's now being told that you're about to change the world. Anybody get a little anxious? Anybody struggle with that? I wish the text would give me some emotion, but it doesn't. It gives me the details. And what's unique about what Luke says here, the angel says to Mary, it would actually bring some comfort to her. That blows me away. 
That information for me as a teenager would not gonna, no, no. You know, if all of a sudden I'm sitting there in life and I'm a teenager and I'm doing life and life is good and all of a sudden I found out I'm gonna be a dad, life's about to go real bad. Ah, no. But it's unique. And all of these words, as Gabriel goes off, gives Mary some perspective. The angel shows up, startles her, gives her this information. But I think it's unique to understand that there are power, that there is a power in the words that give hope. And I think that's a reminder to us too. There's a power in his words that give hope. In this very brief conversation, she knows she's gonna be pregnant. She knows the sex of the baby. It's gonna be a boy. She knows the name of the baby, Jesus. That he will be the son of God. And it says some unique stuff. Like this idea that the Lord will give, the throne, give him the throne of his father, David. God made a promise to David that he fulfills now. In 2 Samuel chapter seven, verse 17, through the prophet Nathan, he says to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. There's power in his words that give hope. And I love that every Christmas, it's a little different today, but, but when I was a kid, we used to sing things a little bit differently, right? We, we changed things a, a lot today, and I, I love the way that we worship today. When I was a kid, I would do these little kids' choirs growing up in the church, and we would sing this song in Isaiah chapter nine. Verse six is what we would sing. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful, right? That, you, you, some of you get it, that's right. If you don't, that's fine. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, right? That's that thing. But do you know what verse seven says? Verse seven says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. It's prophetic. It's talking about Jesus. Establishing and upholding with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. Gabriel literally just told Mary, there is no one in the known world that will be greater than this child that I am bringing to this earth through you. And notice her response. Her response, it wasn't doubt. It was simply questioning. Those are two very specifically different things. Doubt is a verb. It's to feel uncertain or to not believe it. Questioning is a noun. It's a statement used to obtain information. She's just trying to understand how is this possible. In verse 34, it says Mary's questioning is how. I'm a virgin. It doesn't make any sense. It's not possible. It's questioning. And if you parallel that with Zachariah's story, Zachariah doubted and his doubt got him silenced until the birth of John the Baptist. Mary questioned. And her question, how, 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 
And in verse 35, the angel says, the Holy Spirit, that's how. That's how. The Holy Spirit, there's power there. Are you tuned into the Spirit's work around you and in your life? Are you tuned into the Spirit's work around you, in the people around you, in the families around you, in your work, in your, or in your, or your livelihood, and then in your own personal life? Are you tuned in to what the Spirit can do? It's transformational. It is life-giving. It will forever shift your perspective on what's valuable in life. The Holy Spirit continues to do big things. And I love this because years ago, a man taught me this very simple idea that the Holy Spirit helps you in the way that you think, in the way that you feel, and in the way you choose. And I agree that it's even more than that. But those three specific things, in the way you think, in the way you're feeling, and in the choices you make on a daily basis, the Spirit is involved. Think back to a time in your life when God showed up. Or think back to a time in your life where you wrestled with God over something specific. I found God often reveals himself to ordinary people in extraordinary ways. He does. It doesn't mean it's easy, but he understands. And before we start doubting God's abilities, maybe we should question our own circumstances and how we got there first. Because many times for you and I, we build our own ivory towers. We build this perfect life around us, how we wanna live and the way that we want to do life for ourselves and then when something doesn't go the way we want to, or there's a pivot or a shift that we're not ready for, we immediately go to God and say, God, why did you do that? Hold up. We put ourselves there. We often do the very things that get us in trouble. And then we say, God's the problem. It's not, and he's not. We have to process through this. And as we've progressed in this age, as we've grown up, so much more of reality has gotten complicated. When we were little, we did things a little bit differently, right? We, we didn't see the weight of the world on our shoulders. We didn't understand the concepts of all the things that were happening the brokenness around us. No, we simply looked at life as an imagination or as a creative place, a place full of opportunities. And then as we grow up, responsibility set in, pressure, tension, toxicity, deadlines, comparisons, doubt. You start to recognize all of your own flaws. They start to eat away at the framework that God created you to be. We lose sight of the spirit and the work, life gets hard. It quickly turns you sour and gives you a bitter taste in your mouth. It leaves you feeling like you don't have purpose. And if you're not careful, your busyness will get in the way and you'll watch it all fall apart around you and you ask God why? And maybe you even start to think like you're a nobody 
a defeated and deflated human that nothing good can come from, and it can. It can. And God shows up, and he tells you to your face, I love you, I love you, and your story isn't finished. And if you would just give me the ability to continue writing the story, instead of trying to control it on your own, I will take you on a journey that you've never experienced before in your life. In a sense, you feel God calling you into something difficult, more than likely you're gonna feel the way Mary did. You're gonna feel a little troubled. And maybe in that moment, it's a chance to change the course, to put God on the rightful throne that is his. It's understandable to feel troubled when there's chaos coming. But many times, to tear down the world that we built, we have to put God first. And oftentimes that means tearing down the things that we built up for ourselves. See, Mary's task was not simple, but a response was. In Luke chapter one, verse 38, Mary simply responds, I am the Lord's servant. May your words be fulfilled in me. Could you say that? Have you said that? God's continually calling you into this world to understand that he has purpose, not just for you, but for everyone else around you. And no matter what you're facing in your life today, with God, there is always hope. A hope that can change the course of your life. A hope that can change your relationships, your marriage, your family, a hope that can spark a movement for the kingdom, for the purpose, and through the purpose that he built you for, a purpose that can erase your past and give you direction, and a hope that jumps at the chance to comfort and give you rest when you are weary at heart. See, the craziest part of Mary's story to me is the fact that Mary had absolutely no idea what was coming. She had no clue what she was signing up for. It was for this teenage girl in this unwed situation to be pregnant. It's a unique response. And you parallel that back to verse 25. Elizabeth is in her old age and she's pregnant. And her words are, in these days, he has shown favor and taken away my disgrace among the people because she's given, or God has given her a son to carry on the lineage of her family. And you contrast that to Mary, who is pregnant in her young age, and things are about to get very, very real. Mary didn't say yes, knowing the end of her story. She said yes to the journey, not knowing what lies ahead. That's faith. That's faith in its truest and rawest form. It's beautiful. It takes a moment to stop and realize what does it take for a teenager who's facing life-changing circumstances to say, I am your servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. 
Can I get real for a second, Christians? We've become too safe and predictable. Let me say it again. We've become too safe and predictable. Faith in its truest forms is, is always within an arm's reach. But we barely grab a hold of it anymore. And I don't know if that's because fear is setting in. Maybe we, we were afraid to get called out. Maybe we're, we're unsure of all the right words or things to say to people or how to respond. Or, or I've, I'm a mess my life is messy. I don't know what to do with all of it, right? We struggle to lean into God's provision. And because we can't clearly understand the conditions that are involved in the process and we can't control every outcome and circumstance, we play it safe over and over and over again. And I'm here to tell you that God is not some cosmic janitor in the sky that we hope comes by and cleans up all of the little messes that we make in life. He wants a relationship with us. He loves you. He cares about us. He wants to see you prosper, but he wants it on his terms. He wants you to see and to know and understand that he is good. God's never left us. He is Lord. He will never leave or forsake you and me. He said to Mary, I am with you. In that phrase, he also said to Abraham. He also said that to Joshua as he was taken on the promised land. He also said that to Moses when he asked him to free God's people from slavery in Egypt. He said that to Gideon when he fought a very uneven war. God's always calling the, the, you and I, life, us. He's calling us to do something big. And we've got to not be afraid to step into that. We've gotta have our merry moment to say, I am your servant. Some of you today, you need to recognize that there is hope and God is with you. It's that simple. For some of you in the room today, you need a merry moment. It's time for you to start walking by faith and truly say yes to Jesus in your life. It's for real. Stop pushing it off. Don't wait another day. Make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And for many of us in the room, we've already said yes to the journey at some point, but somewhere along the way, we got off track. Something shifted us and we lost our way and we ran. See, life got complicated and things got difficult. It got the best of you. It's time to reset. It's time to see that faith come alive again. It's time to tap into the hope that never fails. It's time to start leaning into God's power instead of your own, and it's time to give him the worries instead of carrying the burden alone. I don't know about you, but when life gets hard for me, I tend to go to worship music. 
And I had access to the set list that we were playing this weekend. And so I, I decided in that moment, uh, I was having a rough day. I put some worship music on. See, what happened is uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm sick. I'm not feeling good, but the medicine's out. I know I should have called somebody, but I masked up and I headed out. I got cut off twice on my way to the store. And my wife and I have always shifted our perspective. If somebody cuts you off, just assume that they have diarrhea and they need to get somewhere really fast, <laughs> right? It's great to shift your perspective. Try it today, it'll change your life. And then I got to the store and I was about to pull into the parking spot, you know, had my turn signal on, life was going good, and a guy cuts in and takes the spot in front of me. I finally found a parking spot. I don't feel good. And I'm literally just sitting there weeping in my car. And these words from living hope, the cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The King of Kings, that promised King calls me his own. Family, we've got a promised king whose steadfast love continues to write the story of our lives. And it takes the power of people like this teenage girl named Mary to say, I am your servant. Whatever you need to do today to rekindle that faith in your life and cling to that hope in Jesus don't hesitate, because the journey awaits. Let's pray. God, so many times I put myself before you. You still see me. You still understand me. You love me as I am. And God, sometimes I'm so tapped into who I am that I forget who you are. I forget to understand the way that you live and function. And God, so many times in life, it's a struggle. And I realize that it's me that's continuing to push you away. So I'm God, I'm asking in this moment, allow us to see you the way Mary saw you that no matter what the task was before us, we're willing to say, yeah, I'm in. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.